We humans fear the unknown. We fear what we don't understand, and yet we seek thrills. A portion of the Earth's jungle remain unknown for us. We simply just haven't explored them, much like our mountains. Yet we seek out those answers to try to better understand the planet that we call home. Others seek to see what lies beyond our plane of existence. Knowledge is power, but man, it can be terrifying. Thankfully, I'm only talking about Disney rides at the parks. So, with all this, I have but one question to ask you. What do you get when some of the most brilliant minds come together to create thrill rides for Disney? Today, we're going to be talking about two rides. I figured with this being the halfway point, why not celebrate a little and take two of the most iconic rides of all time and have one longer episode? Two for one, baby. Gotta love it. Today, we are going to start off with the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Starting in the late 80s, as the second phase of Disneyland Paris, then known as Euro Disney, a freefall ride was being developed for Frontierland, known as Geyser Mountain. The concept was similar. Guests would enter the ride and go up and go down. Freefalling. The plan fell through, and quickly Disney MGM, now known as Disney Hollywood Studios, quickly picked up the concept. This was to be part of a large-scale expansion at the park, which also included a Dick Tracy ride, which would later get turned into the Indiana Jones ride. But still needing an e-ticket attraction, as well as playing with the idea of having a haunted house, they looked into Stephen King novels or a Vincent Price ghost tour, in addition to a Mel Brooks-narrated whodunit mystery ride. All of these fell through. Eventually, though, Imagineering would find inspiration in the Twilight Zone and Rod Sterling. The Imagineers thought it would be great to be able to take guests into the fifth dimension, like Sterling did on the show decades before. The project began development starting with securing the rights from CBS. The team had come up with the idea of having a 1930s-era hotel, drawing inspiration from the Biltmore as well as some other iconic Californian hotels. With that, came the creating of an entirely new ride system so guests could drop and rise fast. Eaton Kenway and Otis Elevator Company were instrumental in creating the ride system as well as giving the carts the ability to move horizontally. Feeling that Sterling needed to still be part of the show, the Imagineers did what they do best. They made it happen. Despite Rod Sterling's passing away nearly two decades previously, they instead reached out to Carol Sterling, Rod's wife, and asked her to oversee casting for Rod's voice actor. Many people came to the audition, but many went home. Mark Silverman, though, he would be the man to voice Sterling. In the pre-show, Imagineering just used footage from the episode It's a Good Life when Rod's visible. Silverman would continue to voice Sterling, though, even reprising his role for the 2019 revival of The Twilight Zone. Oh, and the, the pre-show for the ride? It's great. Like, exceptionally great. And that's because it's directed by Joe Dante. Yeah, the guy who did The Howling, Gremlins, Gremlins 2. That guy. He did that. 
Now, I won't bore you with the specifics of how the ride operates, because it's a lot of math, it's a lot of numbers, and to be honest, I really just don't think most people care for that. And I also am not going to tell you about the events of the ride or the pre-show, because this is something that you have to become a part of. It is like walking into an episode of The Twilight Zone, and this feeling just is not replicated anywhere. So please, just go ride it. The tower would be completed in 1994 and would open July 22nd of that year. Standing a massive 199 feet tall, with drops as fast as 40 miles per hour, the tower was ready for guests. With the ride being so tall and Disney's commitment to making your visit magical, the backside of the ride can actually be seen from Morocco in the World Showcase at Epcot. Of course, it's painted to look like it belongs in the skyline of Morocco, so next time you're sitting down for a meal in Morocco, look for the tower. As far as other versions go, Disneyland Paris would eventually receive its own version, which I see being very fitting, as that's where the ride kind of was born. That ride opened September 28th, 2019, and will be having its first birthday in just a couple days after this podcast. Happy birthday. Disneyland had a version, which was very loved. <laughs> and this is quite controversial for, uh, for Disneyland fans. In the summer of 2016 at Comic-Con, it was announced that the ride would be closing and would be totally redone from the ground up to become Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Fans were not happy. Petitions with hundreds of thousands of signatures were going around, but Disney would not change its mind, and on May 27th, 2017, the new ride would open. But fear not, or be afraid, because it's kind of a scary ride. The Guardians are a great replacement, as Mission Breakout is truly an incredible ride. With that, Disney also announced that no other versions of the ride would be replaced, dodging an Eisner-sized bullet. And of course, we cannot forget about Tokyo Disney Sea. And boy, do they march to their own beat, boasting its own original story, abandoning all the Twilight Zone IP. It centers around a fictional character, Harrison Hightower III, based off of the real-life Joe Rohde, the Imagineering extraordinaire. And you know what? That's actually a great transition. So let's go ahead and pack our bags, leave the warm nights of Hollywood, and fly to Nepal and explore the cold, snowy mountains. The only other ride that can rival the thrills of the Tower of Terror is Expedition Everest. This was Joe Rohde's first ride coming off of massive and important projects and boasting a love for the world around him. It was just a perfect fit. This was such a huge undertaking that there was a documentary created by Discovery Channel just to promote it. There is no pre-show, but the queue is truly incredible and some of the best that I've ever seen across all the parks as far as storytelling is concerned. You enter a faux vacation travel agency, and you pass through seeing tons of photos and evidence telling the story of the Yeti, as well as confirming its existence. Towards the end, you have no doubt that the Yeti is a real thing just before you board. Sadly, the single rider line bypasses all of this, and I feel that it detracts from the ride experience, so it's worth to wait. 
Riders board the roller coaster in a model village of Sirkazong to begin a speedy route through the Himalayas to the base of Mount Everest. The train departs the station to the right and climbs a small lift and then a short drop, and it circles around to the lift hill, carrying the riders into the 199-and-a-half-foot mountain. It is the tallest attraction at Walt Disney World, beating the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror by six inches. Disney keeps it just under 200 feet because the law requires structures 200 feet or taller to have a blinking red light as a beacon for low-flying planes, which Disney feels would take park goers out of the experience. On the way up, it passes through a ransacked temple with murals of the Yeti, warning the riders that the mountain is his territory. At the top of the mountain, the train curves around the main peak and goes through a cave. When it emerges, it draws to a halt. In front, the track has been torn apart. The train then rolls backwards, down a route that spirals through the mountain. It eventually comes to a halt in a large cave where riders see the Yeti's shadow on the wall as he tears up more track. As the shadow moves away, the train rolls forward out of the mountain and down the main 80-foot drop. Quickly, it enters a 250-degree turn and speeds back up through another cave in the mountain where the roars of the Yeti are heard once more. The train exits from the rear of the mountain and enters a large helix before being lifted into the mountain a final time. The train drops through a cave where the Yeti is reaching down towards you. On reaching the bottom of the drop, riders return to the unloading dock and depart into a gift shop. The ride only lasts 2 minutes and 50 seconds. There have never been any changes to the ride except for one. The Yeti is the largest and most complex audio animatronic figure ever built by Walt Disney Imagineering. It is 25 feet tall, and its skin measures a thousand square feet, and it is held in place by a thousand snaps and 250 zippers. Its movement is controlled by 19 actuators when functioning in its A mode, its full operation mode. In A mode, it can move 5 feet horizontally and 18 inches vertically. A few months after the ride opened, the Yeti figure's framing split, threatening catastrophic malfunction if it were to be operated further in A mode. Since then, it has been operated only in the alternative B mode, in which a strobe light effect is used to give the appearance of movement, earning the nickname Disco Yeti. The Yeti seems unlikely to be repaired until a major refurbishment in the distant future. Because the design limits access to the Yeti without major disassembly of the superstructure. Joe Rohde was asked about the Yeti at the 2013 D23 Expo, and Rohde responded, quote, You have to understand, it's a giant, complicated machine sitting on top of, like, a 46-foot tall tower in the middle of a finished building. So it's really hard to fix. But we are working on it, and we continue to work on it. We've tried several things, but we're working on it. I will fix the Yeti someday. I swear. End quote. One day, we will see the Yeti in full force. If I believe anybody, I believe Rhodey. But until then, Disco Yeti. These two rides together are a towering 400 and a half feet, with numerous tons of steel, innumerable amounts of paint, but some of the best Imagineering that has ever been. These are the rides that define a company. 
To me, Disney will always be the master of theme parks. I really want to thank you for coming along with me on these first four parts. These next four are going to be great. I I promise you that. This will be the last episode until October, which will be next week. And I figure since you've been listening so far, why not leave you with a preview of next week's episode? 